0: Thank you, India. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Uh, so glad to have you here with us this morning. Like India said, my name is Gino Allison. Uh, my wife and I are the lead pastors here, and we're so happy that you're here with us. Also, a uh, special welcome to anybody who's visiting with us for the very first time. Um, I, like India said, I see a lot of new faces this morning. So glad to see uh, new faces in the house. My, in fact, my wife uh, sent out a text last night to a bunch of our leaders. So, hey, text somebody right now. I think it was like 1030. Text somebody right now and invite them to church. And listen, I just, I feel like in this new year, starting now, like the Lord just really wants us to uh, uh, increase a culture of invitation in this place. I think we're getting better at it, but uh, we have a steady stream of visitors, but I feel like challenged and convicted, and to bring that challenge and conviction to you, that if, you, uh, if your life is being changed radically by the place where you go and worship, first of all, if it's not being changed and transformed, then you should probably find another place to worship, right? But if it is being transformed, and you're meeting Jesus regularly in his house and with his people, then I think you should be telling other folks about that, right? right. And so we have uh, this really... Uh, cool cards on the back table. I've asked any to put out more. And so I want each and every person to just grab five of these cards on your way out. Every single person. And the goal isn't to grab them and stuff them in your glove box, right? Or put them on top of your refrigerator. The goal is to consciously say, man, somebody's getting these cards this week. And I'm not just going to give the stack to one person, right? I'm going to give to five different people. And I just feel like the Lord just going to cause us to prime that pump of invitation and see what the Lord does uh, in this house. Because I think we got the best thing in town. I mean, I'm I'm supposed to say that, right? But I really believe um, nothing against any other churches. They're supposed to say that about the church that they go to, right? But I really believe that God is doing amazing things here. And if you come here, you'll meet the Savior and you'll meet some fantastic people, right? And so don't you grab five of these on your way out, hand them out, and, and even pray over these things, because I think God wants to do wonderful things as we uh, increase the culture of invitation. I also just want to mention that uh, in the, uh, January 2nd is going to be, we're going to be starting our 30-day fast. At the beginning of every year, we've been doing this almost since we uh, opened as a church almost nine years ago. Um, uh, we have been participating in a 30-day fast at the very beginning of the year. It's hard, it's challenging, but it's supposed to be, right? It's an opportunity for us to hit a hard reset button. Many of us, if you're like me, you've picked up bad habits over the year, you've got complacent, you've got spiritually, emotionally, relationally, maybe even physically a little flabby, right? And so it's Helpful, necessary for us to place into a place, uh, press into a place of fitness. And basically, what that means is we unplug from some things, the lesser things that compete with God for our attention and our affection. And in turning down those lesser noises, we're more able to hear what God would say to us. And so, many of you have engaged with us over uh, the, the, the last few years with varying degrees of zeal and intensity and excitement. But this year, I'm inviting each and every one of you to engage in this. Now, this doesn't mean you have to not eat for 30 days, although some people have chosen to do that. Um, But this means you find something that's a staple in your life. Maybe it's social media. Maybe it's certain types of food. Maybe it's your smartphone. Maybe it's coffee, right? But you say, this thing has grown to an unhealthy place in my life. I'm dependent on it in a way that's unhealthy. I need to unplug from this uh, for 30 days so that I could lean into things that are more important, things that are more helpful and healthy. And some of you might not pick that thing back up after 30 days. We'll see, but we want you to engage that with us. It's a couple of weeks away, but I just kind of want to prime your heart for that. Would hate to spring that on you at the last minute, all right? And lastly, before I begin the message, I mentioned the last couple of weeks that we are hiring. Uh, we are trying to fill an admin assistant position as well as a, 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 custo- a custodian position. We've gotten some uh, interest and even some applications, but we're going to be conducting in- interviews soon. So if you grabbed an application, if you're interested, we'd like to get those in this week. If you know somebody that's not here that might be interested, feel free to share that with them. But we'd like to have these positions filled as we head into the new year. And so keep that in mind if you need, if you need a job. Well, let me begin uh, the message uh, this morning. If you were with us last week you would know that we began a series last week, a brand new series that we're simply calling Christmas Unwrapped. We're right in the thick of the Advent season, and Advent is a season observed by Christians all over the world. And during Advent, we celebrate, I should say, we observe three things. We are thankful for the first coming of Christ that Jesus was sent to earth to free us from our sins and to be our example. We prepare, secondly, for his second coming. We're preparing our hearts. We're preparing our lives. We're telling other people in preparation for the second coming of Christ. And lastly, we celebrate God's presence here with us today. And that's my favorite part about the Advent season because we know that God is here with us now. He's present He's in our midst through the power and work of the Holy Spirit, and so he's acquainted, very well acquainted with our suffering, with our grief, with our struggles, because he's here with us now. But we've called this series Christmas Unwrapped because many of us, particularly those of us in the West, as we get wrapped up in Christmas and the holiday season, we're like that immature child who's given this beautifully wrapped gift— and upon unwrapping it, rather than appreciating and engaging with the actual gift, they go over in the corner and they play with the box. Or they play with the wrapping. Or they're enamored with the, you know, the, the, the ribbon or the bow, neglecting the gift. But the spiritually mature, those who have been enlightened, know that the gift is far better than the wrapping. And when I say the wrapping, I mean the gift, Jesus Christ is wrapped, for many of us, in the trappings of the season. The presents and the parties, the outing and, and, and the songs and all of the things that come along with Christmas, that's just the wrapping. That's just the wrapping paper. But how foolish would it be for us to leave the gift on the table uh, in exchange for just enjoying the wrapping? And so we seek, during this series, to unwrap the gift. Nothing wrong with the parties. Nothing wrong with the presence, nothing wrong with the, 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 the get-togethers and the singing, but that's just the wrapping. We are supposed to engage, appreciate, enjoy the gift. The gift is Jesus. And so last week as we begin this series, we talked about the gift of change. One of the things that Jesus brings is he brings uh, the gift of change one of the things I say all the time about this church, if there's a rumor that I would love to get around in the city about this church, is that, hey, they expect you to change when you go over there. Like, if you go to that church, if you engage in it, if you listen to the sermons, if you plug into community life, if you don't want to change, don't go there. If you don't want your life transformed by the power and work of the Spirit, the message of the gospel, if you don't want to change, don't go there, because if you get hooked up with SSV your life will radically change. And so one of the great promises of this gift of Jesus is the gift of change. Change to what? Your situation. Change to what? Your assignment. Your place and station in life. And change most certainly to your level of faith. There is a deeper measure of abiding faith that you encounter as you hook up with the person and work of Jesus. Jesus came, as I often say, to change the world, And one of the ways that he does that is what? By changing us. The gift of change. And as I continue this series this morning, I want to draw your attention to a surprising reality of God's kingdom, a theme that runs through the whole of Scripture, and this thread that runs through the whole of Scripture, if you have eyes to see it, is that God loves to use ordinary things and ordinary people to do fantastic, awesome things. This theme of ordinariness runs all throughout Scripture. Now, in the Western world, we, we, we have to really reframe our thinking in order to engage the kingdom. We often say that the kingdom is upside down, right? In other words, it's, it, it thinks differently, it acts differently, it runs differently than our world. I'll tell you a secret. The kingdom is actually right side up. The world is upside down, but we won't squibble over that. But in our Western world, sensitivities to be called ordinary like we'd have to step outside right to be called average ordinary plain unimpressive uh, that's not a compliment Uh, that's an insult of the worst variety but in God's kingdom we see that God seems to love to work with ordinary things and ordinary people from the old testament to the new we look at the story of Moses And Moses protested God using him because they're like, I don't speak too well. I'm not not very impressive. You want me to go speak on your behalf? You want me to free your people? Listen, you might want to get somebody else who talks better than me. I don't talk good. God says, no, you're the one I want. I'll give you some help. I'll equip you, but you're the one I want. Look at the story of Gideon who was so unimpressed with himself that he was surprised that God would approach him to do something fantastic. Joseph, the younger son of Jacob, the runt, God used him to do magnificent things. No, not to speak of King David of the Old Testament. The younger son, prophet didn't even look his way when he came to his daddy's house looking to anoint the king, right? Right? But it was young David who took courage and slayed Goliath and eventually became the anointed king of Israel. Turn the page to the New Testament, you see Zechariah, who we talked about last week, an old man, well beyond his childbearing years, not to mention that somehow him and his wife did not have kids in their, in their long life. And it would seem that if God was going to give a baby to somebody, he wouldn't give the baby to somebody who was landing the plane of their life, but instead an old faithful priest brought John the Baptist in the world, who, by the way, also makes this list to somebody you wouldn't necessarily think God would use in order to do something great. You look at Mary and Joseph, you look at the 12 disciples, and on and on and on throughout the course of Christian history, God has leaned toward the ordinary and the plain in order to get some fantastic things done. This ought to encourage the ordinary among us. So God seems to lean toward a certain kind of people, almost like he's playing favorites. Which is kind of conflicting for a preacher because I know that in this book it says explicitly that God plays no favorites. Romans 12:11 Paul says it, God shows no favoritism. Peter after his visit with Cornelius, a Gentile, seeing that the Holy Spirit fell on the Gentiles just as he fell on the Jews, Peter realizes, I see that in every nation, God has called people unto himself, and he declares God shows no favoritism. So if this is true, it's true that there is no race, no gender, no age, and no social class that God favors above the other. But what's also true is that God most often uses the meek, uh, the ordinary, the plain, the unimpressive, the unimportant, not because he 's classist, but because the assignments and resources of heaven are always best used by those who possess god 's favorite character trait, and that is humility. I'll say that again: the resources and assignments of heaven are always best used by those who possess God's favorite character trait, and that is humility. Jesus says as much in Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, in the famous Sermon on the Mount, he says, God blesses those who are poor, another version says poor in spirit, and realize that their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. In other words, Jesus is saying blessed are those who are average and know it. Blessed are are those who are ordinary and embrace that reality about themselves. Blessed are those who are blank canvases and who glory in that because they are fit for the master's use. The kingdom of heaven belongs to them. And Jesus is saying, in other words, blessed are the ordinary for they are less complicated instruments. Blessed are the ordinary because they are beautifully blank canvases, and God paints his best masterpieces not on canvases that are being recycled and reused. He can work with those too, by the way. But God paints his best masterpieces on blank canvases. God does his best construction work with cement that's still wet. He creates The best pottery from clay that's still malleable, moldable, yet hadn't hadn't dried yet. God does his best work with those who don't suffer from the Western affliction of self-importance. Blessed are the ordinary. So everything about what Jesus says and everything about how he lives and everything about this grand story of the Bible pulls us back to earth and seeks to get rid of our leaning towards self-importance you got to get low in order to engage the kingdom. you got to get low in order to be used mightily by God this is a theme that runs throughout scripture and so as we unwrap this Christmas story appreciating the gift wrapping, but being more interested in the gifts underneath that wrapping, I think we should lean into, unwrap, and appreciate the gift of ordinariness that we see, not just throughout Scripture, but especially in the Christmas story. If you're looking for a title for this message this morning, The Gift of Ordinariness. I really believe that the Lord's going to speak to somebody through this today, I really believe that this particular angle of this ancient story is is designed to bring somebody some freedom today because we've got, many of us, our ladder that we're climbing, we find today that it's up against the wrong wall. That should you get to the top of the ladder that you're climbing, you will find that it's something totally different than what God has called you to aspire to. And hopefully this message today will bring you some freedom and give you some Tools to not only appreciate who you are, but to spend the rest of your life flying low to the ground. The rest of your life embracing a measure of ordinariness, knowing that God adds his super to our natural and can do with that wonderful things. The gift of ordinariness. I'm looking at a passage of scripture in Luke chapter 1. Would you turn with me in your Bibles? If you're old school and you have a Bible, uh, turn there with me this morning. You might find some Bibles on the edges of your row, although we're getting a little thin, have to order some more Bibles. But if you have a Bible on your row, feel free to use that. If you don't, by the way, have a Bible at home that you can understand, uh, feel free to take those Bibles written in a pretty plain English that you might be able to understand. We'll also be engaging with the scriptures on the screens, and feel free also to use your devices, uh, your tablets, or your phones as we get into God's Word. Luke chapter 1, verse 26. While you find that, let me pray. Dear Jesus, thank you so much for your Word. Thank you for your truth. Thank you, Father, that you would use me. Um, you would use me, an ordinary guy, uh, to speak to your people, to bring your truth, to encourage your people today, to challenge them, to call them higher. Thank you that you would use me. And so, Father, I pray that we would unhook from the trappings of this world the value systems of this world, and Lord, we would get on your page this morning. That we would embrace who you've called us to be. That we would be empty vessels ready to be poured into by you. That we would be blank canvases ready for the master's use. Put power in these words you've given me to speak this morning. Father, move the preacher out of the way so that your truth and your light might shine through. We ask all these things in Jesus' mighty name. And all God's people said, Amen. Luke chapter 1, starting at verse 26, we're actually kind of picking up where we left off uh, last week. We are talking about Zechariah and Elizabeth in the earlier part of Luke chapter 1. We picked this up. This is Mary's story, starting at verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth, this is Mary's cousin, Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her six-month pregnancy. For no word from God will ever fail. Verse 38, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Now, with the fear of sounding like a broken record... Uh, We're engaging Mary's story, and as I almost do on a weekly basis, I urge you as we encounter a familiar text, a familiar story, to still lean forward in your seats because God always has something fresh uh, from the living word. And so in Mary's story, we see a perfect illustration, a continuance, if you will, of God's favor or leaning toward the ordinary things uh, to do great things. Uh, to use ordinary instruments to create like wonderful masterpieces. This is so consistent with God's uh, nature, and it should inform the reality of our lives, our self-esteem, our walk with God in unique and powerful ways. I want to highlight three things in this text. Uh, three things specifically that I want you to notice, things that I noticed. some of them for the first time, as I walk through this text. And the goal of this today is to bring the lowly up and to bring the haughty down. Understand, when I say fly low to the ground, when I I say be humble, make no mistake, God gets no glory out of low self-esteem. He he gets no glory out of your life if you're consumed and burdened with low self-worth. No, that's not humility, right? And some of us are in the sub-basement as it relates to how we view ourselves. And God for you is calling you up to the level ground that lies beneath the cross. Now, some of us should be experiencing altitude sickness because you're pretty full of yourself. (laughs) You spent the days reading your own press clippings, Googling yourself, you know. And for you, these words are supposed to bring you low to that same level ground that lies beneath the cross, because God can't use you if you're in the sub-basement, and he can't use you if you're up on the rooftop. He seeks to bring you to that ground floor where all ground is level beneath the cross. Three things I notice in this text, I want to call them out today. The first thing I notice, and I'm calling you to notice, Mary's status. Mary's status. Now, this is vitally important, and I think this is kind of the starting point for life with Jesus. And I'm so happy that the writers of this ancient text have has, has saw fit to phrase things and include certain words because I think it would speak to us in a powerful way. It's also helpful to note that so many of our issues stem from being confused about our real status. There's so much pretending involved in human life, especially in the West, especially with the advent of social media, especially with all the social pressures to look good and to be successful and to be somebody that others can be proud of. There's so much confusion with regard to our status that I think if we look in Mary's story here, it might be refreshing, challenging, but encouraging in many ways. Verse 26 says, In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, to a town in Galilee, to a virgin, pledged to be married to a man named Joseph. Uh, The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are what? Highly favored. The Lord is with you. I'll read that again. Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. It even tells us that Mary was greatly troubled by these words. She found it perplexing because... Uh, this distinction that the angel had set to her. And to me, this is the most awesome thing about this whole story. And really, I never really zeroed in on this. All the time I preach this, this is just fascinating to me. This is like preacher candy as I was putting this together this week. Notice what the angel did not say to Mary. Notice how the angel did not frame this as a peak, a prophetic peak into her future. This wasn't like, hey, Mary, um, you're going to be a big deal one day. The angel didn't say, hey, Mary, once you have this kid, you're going to blow up. (laughs) The angel did not say, Mary, check this out. When you have this kid, you're going to be so important that people are going to pray to you instead of God. When you have this kid, You're going to be important. When you have this child, Mary, you're going to be of high status. Like God's going to really favor you once this thing, once this check cash is like, you'll be really highly favored. Does the angel say that at all? Now, so much of this story contains a prophetic forecasting into Mary's future, what Jesus would be, that she's going to have a kid, the Holy Spirit's going to overshadow her. But this little slice of this story is her present reality. It's her current status, and this should change the game. He says, Mary, right now, before you do anything impressive, right now, before you have the, the, uh, 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 conceived the Son of God, right now, even before you steward his life well, as you will be faithfully instructed, right now, you're favored. Right now, you're important. Right now, you're a big deal. And all that we would take note of what heaven has to say about us right now. All that you would unhook from the burden of comparison and performance and realize that when you're king, when your father looks at you right now, he sees someone of much worth, much value, You don't have to perform in order to be favored. You don't have to produce in order to be favored. You don't have to be important or well-liked or have loads of followers on social media for God to say, well, I I guess I better get in line with everybody else who likes you. (laughs) Imagine the freedom you'd enjoy, understanding your current status, Consider the change that might break off as you begin to see yourself as God sees you now. How might this free you in the realm of beauty, the pursuit of success, the pursuit of status or wealth, whatever that might look like? That when Jesus saw this ordinary teenage girl engaged to be married to a relative nobody, who most scholars Uh, assume didn't have two nickels to rub together, that God saw her in that state as somebody who was highly favored. And I'm talking to somebody in here because some of you are really you're really on a trip with your status. And maybe you think I should be farther along in life by now. I should be married by now. I've made so many mistakes. I squandered so much time, and you impose your own brokenness and your own negative, broken, faulty self-assessment, and you assume that that must be how God sees you. And so you disqualify yourself from being used by God because you've superimposed your own assessment of your status over what God thinks about you, regardless of what he's speaking to you through others, regardless of what he speaks to you through his word, you said, man, when, one day when I get together, God can really use me. One day when I stop struggling, God can really use One day when I make it and I move out of my parents' basement, God really can use me then. And this screams to us that God sees us as worthy right where you are. Amen. Amen. Now, this ordinary girl would have no ordinary future because she heard God prescribe her status and not just heard it, but she believed it. She embraced it. She engaged it. And I wonder who you might be and where you might go and who you might become if you believed what God said about you. Now, that doesn't mean that you are not a joker and that you don't need to get your act together. You probably do. It <laughs> doesn't mean that you don't have to deal with the besetting sins in your life and those hurts and those habits. But this means that that's not, that's what you're doing and that's not who you are. And we are not what we're doing. We are who we are. We are who God says we are. And God says through this angel, my dear, before you do anything fantastic, I think you're fantastic. Right, amen. And the Lord speaks that over each and every son and daughter in this place. And our charge and our challenge is to believe it. Notice Mary's status. Second thing I notice and I hope you notice is Mary's marching orders. Last week we framed it as, you know, Zachariah's assignment. But this is what God had given Mary to do. This ordinary girl is now given an extraordinary thing to walk out. And this seems to be like how God likes it, right? Seems to be how he likes it. Verse 30 says, you will conceive and give birth to a son. And you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and he will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Little teenage virgin girl married to a relative nobody i know this is a lot to put on you but brace yourself the savior of the world will come through your loins many of us dismiss this as just simply a description of what jesus is going to be a description of Jesus' greatness but like last week when we talked about zachariah this is a divine assignment of astronomic proportions. This is her assignment. You're to give birth to this kid. You're to steward and raise him along with his unsuspecting stepdaddy, Joseph. I wish I could get into Joseph's story, poor guy. (laughs) But this is her marching orders. This is her assignment. And this is a big deal. This is... This is a tall order, but it's not surprising because this is how God works. Because every assignment from God, if you have eyes to see it, is weighty. It's heavy. It's all-consuming. And this is typically how you know it's from God because it like takes up a lot of space. I don't know about you, but I like, Lord, Lord, would you give me something? I got a little space in my life right here. It's about two by three feet. If you could give me something that fits that, that'd be great. I mean, I could scooch some things over. I can maybe put a few things in the attic. But would you kindly give me something that fits in the available space, and then we'll be fine. And what does Jesus say? Nah, and he loads on you ever the picture in my mind is like you remember the Flintstones like when the introduction like when you go to the restaurant like put that big old like I don't know if it's a rib or a t-rex bone or something like on the car and it just weighs it down some of the younger people like Flintstones millennials anyway it's it's all it's all consuming It asks more of you than what you naturally have to give by design. And you're prone to say, Lord, I'm just a so-and-so. I'm just this. I'm just a poor kid from the south side. Lord, you want me to do that? Usually aren't qualified for it in the natural, right? Usually you're not particularly ready for it in a conventional sense. It seems to come out of nowhere. Most often it's bigger than you. By design. It's all consuming if you've ever noticed it. Which means that it's hard to do what God called you to do and moonlight doing something else. And For those of you unfamiliar with the term, the moonlight means to have a second job. To have a main gig, but to have a, another gig on the side, that's like moonlighting. And this is, this is, this is so like what we like to do with Jesus. Lord, I got my main thing right here. I don't want to disrupt this. This is, what, this, is, this is how I eat. This is where I derive my identity and my status. This is what people, when they, when they talk about me, they talk about this. So this is my main thing. Uh, but Lord, I'll make some space for you. I can, I can hit you on the nights and weekends. And many of you would characterize your life with God as exhausting. Exhausting. And even when you call others to life with Jesus, you prepare them for an exhausting life with Him. But let me tell you something. Life with Jesus should not be perpetually exhausting. Life with Jesus should not be unsustainable. It's only perpetually exhausting. It's only unsustainable when you are moonlighting. And even if God's your main thing, and you got something else on the side that you're trying kind to of do on the nights and weekends, it's going to be exhausting. Or if you've got some other thing that's your main thing and you're trying to court Jesus on the nights and weekends, it's going to be exhausting. It's going to be unsatisfying. It's not going to work, it's not going to last. And so when God comes to you with marching orders, when he comes to you with an assignment, the way you know it's for him is that it requires you to empty the entire room of your life. And even still, God's big assignment is going to be bulging out of the windows because it's more than what you can contain. So she comes to Mary and says, Listen, I know you had plans. Come to Joseph, say, Joseph, I know you had plans. I know you wanted to hand out the cigars and tell your boys about, you know. But this isn't going to play out that way. You're going to get some side eyes, Joseph. I ain't going to believe you. But he comes to Mary and Joseph with this assignment. I say all the time, he wasn't, like he wasn't making a request. Right? Do you hear any questions here? Mary, Joseph, we're shopping this around to a few families. We're wondering if you're interested at all in being the mother of the safety. Does that interest you at all? <laughs> Joseph, are you willing to put up with the murmurs and the rumors? Like, is, if you're not cool with it, I, I got another Joseph in the next town because we need a Joseph. Like, <laughs> are you cool with that? There's no questions here comes to the righteous Joseph and the highly favored Mary and lays this assignment on. Gives them these marching orders. And so I think that there is a unique correlation between her understanding and embracing the status that is bestowed upon her just a few sentences earlier and her embracing and walking in this assignment. And some of you, some of you, aren't in the sweet spot of life with Jesus, you're living an exhausting existence because you haven't cleared the room of your life. You're moonlighting. You're courting Jesus on the side, and it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. It simply doesn't work that way. And for some of you, the light bulb went off because you, 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 you hear other people talking about joy in their salvation and, and walking with God and, and happy in the fellowship and the company of God in his assignment. You say, I've never had that. I've never had that. I think some self-examination might be in order. Because Mary receives this. This ordinary girl, young girl, unimportant, Unawesome. An and this is what the Lord lays on her. It. It's huge. It's beyond her. But the Holy Spirit, as the angel says, will speak, make sure this thing happens. I think there's a supernatural grace that accompanies the, the assignment that God gives us. Yeah. That we could not naturally do it on our own. We could not naturally fulfill the purposes and the plans of God were it not for the grace that he accompanies with that assignment. But here's the deal. This is why you're you're exhausted. Because there is no accompanying grace for the thing that you bring to your life. That little thing that you're moonlighting on the side, like there's no Holy Ghost energy on that. You're on your own. There's no empowerment from the Spirit to be successful at that and so God's going to only empower purpose. It's only going to fuel what he set before you. And this enormous task that Mary and Joseph and all the select others have been given to make this thing come to be, they did it with grace and with relative ease because this is from God. And he's got his juice on it when he calls for something. Notice Mary's marching orders. The third and final thing uh, that I notice in this story where God is using these ordinary people to do extraordinary things is I notice Mary's disposition. I notice her disposition. Now, typically, I have pointed to Mary's response, which is what she said. Basically, what she says in response to all of this is, okay, let's do it. Well, I am struck by what seems to be her disposition, her posture toward the things of God. And so some of us walk with God with relative ease, we're very mobile and agile, we'll move where he says move, we'll do what he says do, and we enjoy the grace that comes along with a life of obedience because we have a posture that says yes, a predisposition of yes such that the Lord could just come knocking any time that he wants It's just our posture. We're poised to say yes. We're poised to lean in, while others of us, not so much. Like, it takes a lot of convincing. Three or four angelic visitations, (laughs) writing on the walls, airplanes skywriting, the thing, right? And still we need proof. Still we need some convincing. Convincing. And that's pointing at, uh, uh, what, our posture, our disposition, or our predisposition. And some of you, many of you, perhaps all of us, if we're honest, would say that we are not predisposed quite yet to say yes to the things that the Lord might bring before us. We don't have a predisposition. We got that old Western skepticism. What's in this for me? How do I know that this is going to happen? How can I be sure of this? Kind of like Zechariah last week. But Mary's response to the casual reader might seem similar to Zechariah's. It might seem like a lack of faith or questioning of God's plans and purposes, but it is not because she has a predisposition toward yes. The evidence is in the way she responds to the angel. The angel lays this heavy thing on her, and her question is, how will this be? You know, I'm a virgin. I don't know if that's in your memo, if that's in your notes, but you're talking about babies, and I'm no expert on babies, but I know that something has to happen in order for that to happen. How will this be? Now, Zachariah said, how can I be sure this is going to happen? That was a faith issue. Hey, let's give me a sign. Let let me know that this is going to happen. Mary's response is, uh, do you have any more details? (laughs) I'm a little new to this, you know, being the mother of God thing. Would you do you have any more insight? She says, How will this be since I am a virgin? She's asking for more details, right? And some of us, if you have kids, you know the difference in kids, like you give one kid something to do and they like, they ask for details. Okay, so you want me to sweep the corners too and you want me to do, they're asking for more information. Well, you ask that other kid, particularly one that falls somewhere in the middle of the order. And they're like, well, how long are we going to be doing this? Like, did you give them something to do too? Like, what are they going to be doing while I'm sweeping? (laughs) <laughs> we're, talking about pre, we're talking about the disposition or the predisposition. I got a couple of kids who are predisposed to be compliant and to say yes. But my other ones have a few more questions. And this is Mary. She's predisposed to say yes. She asks questions. She what? what's going to happen? Tell me more about this. The angel answered, okay, the Holy Spirit will come on you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. The Holy One will be born and will call the Son of God. He says, listen, even Elizabeth, I don't know if you talked to her, lady, but she's showing. She's six months pregnant right now. Like, this is legit. And Mary's response, the evidence of her predisposition to say yes, she goes, oh, okay. I, I get it now. And her response is so beautiful to me. She says, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Fresh in her mind is this status that's been bestowed upon her as a highly favored woman, somebody that God smiles upon, somebody that God finds favor. Now, she knows her status. I mean, her natural status, virgin, Young, unimportant. But as she believes what God has to say about her, what follows is this weighty assignment which she willfully embraces. Eagerly almost embraces. She says, I am the Lord's servant. May your word be fulfilled in me as you have spoken. Oh, that I might have the disposition of Mary. Oh, that you might have the disposition of Mary. Oh, that we might mingle those three things, our status, the way the Lord sees us, the reality of his assignment, which on its face seems bigger than what we can accomplish, knowing, of course, that the Spirit's power will make it happen, and that our response, fueled by our disposition, fueled by our predisposition, might cause us to answer as easily And as faithfully as Mary does, oh, that I might possess her faith, oh, that my yes might come easy, that I wouldn't try to wheel and deal and barter with God or file his assignments down to something that's more manageable, file it down to something that fits in the available space that I'm willing to supply for the Master. What might change in your life? How might your life, the entire landscape of your life be different? If when God comes knocking, you say as Mary said, may your words come true. May it be unto me as you've spoken, for I am spare change in your pocket. God, you can spend me however you like. May it be unto me as you've spoken, because I am a blank canvas, and the master can write on me or draw on me what he wishes. I am but wet cement. May it be crafted in any way the master sees fit. I am wet clay on the wheel. May it be formed and fashioned in a way that the master sees fit. How might the landscape of your life change if ordinary you and ordinary me might respond to God in this way? Worship team, you can come as I I land this thing. I believe specifically that the Lord uh, really wants to begin this morning with working on not everybody, because everybody doesn't have a self-esteem issue, but I believe that the Lord wants to begin today by working on some self-esteem. Some of you are in the basement. Many of you are in the basement. I want to spend a few seconds just talking to the women in this room because I believe that in this particular culture, like life's really hard on you with regard to your status With regard to beauty and all the hats you wear and all the roles, the things that you have to do, and I just feel like the Lord would say to you, like, would you see yourself in the story? Would you hear Him speak over you that He loves you and He likes you, and that His love and His fondness of you has nothing to do with what you can do or how good you look or how. My mic just go out. I believe that we have to start there, and it's not just a female thing, guys. Would you just uh, believe that you don't have to measure yourself by somebody else or what other people are doing, that when the Lord comes to you today, he sees you as a son, that he loves, that he values, and that he has a plan for your life that likely by now he's already tried to, like, bestow upon you? And I feel like the Lord says, as we begin to walk And our status, as heaven sees us, he'll re-engage us with these assignments. And may our disposition and may our response to him coming and speaking to us be accepted. May we say yes, quickly say yes. May we not point to our ordinariness as something that disqualifies us, but rather see our blank canvases as something that qualifies us for the master's use. May we not point to the emptiness of our vessels, but realize that the emptiness of our vessels qualifies us to be filled, overflow, and be filled again by God's Spirit so that we might do what he's called us to do. Will we glory in our ordinariness, in our plainness, in our blankness, so that God could have his way? Let me pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word and your truth. Thank you that there is plenty of encouragement in your word. There's plenty of challenge there as well. Father, I pray that we would be moved to action, that we wouldn't just hear this word and and, and recognize that there's some truth there, but Father, we we would wrestle with this. We would be transformed by it. We would be changed by it. Father, may we see ourselves today and forevermore how you see us, and may we live our lives accordingly. May we say yes to you yes to you, and yes again. Have your way. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen.